the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, um, church questions, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, I want to remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now band at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we've had a whole bunch of really good questions sent in, and it's Tuesday. We don't have anything to announce or talk about, so I'll get right to um, the questions. The first one is, and I'm, I'm going to take this one first. Uh, oh, I got a phone call first. Let's go to the phone call. Phone calls always take priority. Uh, I've got um, Jim, Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, sir. Hi, Jimmy. I'm not the one that emailed you yesterday about the uh, fakers or whatever. Okay. It didn't huh? sound like you. I'm never sure, but it didn't sound like you, so. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I was going to ask. My son, uh, he owns two cars, but one of his cars got repoed, right? And uh, it's because the girl that used to be with because he he left her because he knew he was living in sin right so he said no i can't be living with you anymore so she was upset about it but he left her that car and she was supposed to make the payments <clears throat> well apparently she was making the payments or something so i offered to uh to pay off the car for him right and uh and but they want me to give her the car back and i said no I said, no, I'm not going to give her the car back because uh, because it's going to be under my name and under my insurance. Yeah. When you say <laughs> they want they want you to give the car back, who's they? That's uh, I think that's what my son and and his ex girlfriend want, and yeah. uh, she wants to talk to us. And I said, look, Christian, she didn't she didn't want to accept Christ. I'm not trying to judge her. I say, but you know, she she rejected you because you you stood for Jesus Christ. Okay, and and, and and I'm not going to uh, put you, you know, are your mother and I are willing to sacrifice and take out our savings, sixteen thousand dollars to pay off that car. And I'm not, and I and I I know you said to pray about it, and I did, and this is what God told me, and I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to take a chance with her driving a car and under my name and under my insurance, so. I mean, I know that it's right. I know that this, that's yeah. what God told me. Yep. 
sounds mm. sound, sounds wise, of course. God is wise, so he knows. <laughs> it's kind of staggering. You know, they're going to lose the car, or they've already lost the car, and um, they want to keep driving it, but you you pay it off for them. That's just not a good decision. This is a unequally yoked relationships. They need to go. And uh, well, it's, it's he, just really he, simple. He, 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 the, because he has a child with her, so that's mm-hmm. why he keeps in communication with her. And, um, you know, and we, you know, we're blessed with that grandchild, but, and that's just, uh, that's why he has communication with her, but he doesn't have nothing else to do with her. So, uh, you know, he's focusing on Jesus Christ. He's trying, he's, uh, learning the word. He's going to church. He's, you know, he's, he, he, I see his passion for Christ now where he is, he's, he's realizing what the world is ending up to be. Yeah. And, uh. It brings very much sadness to his heart, and I understand because I see it too. But you know, he yet he still has joy in his heart. But I told him, I know that he has compassion for her, but I got to be wise with you, Christian. I I can't I can't let her drive the car. You know, we're gonna we're doing this for you so you can, your credit can be fixed. And um, you, that's that's very generous offer, Jimmy. God bless you, and I'm. I'm, uh, I'm. I'll be praying that he accepts the offer, but um, you know the girl that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus in his life. Uh, he just needs to leave her behind. Obviously, there's a kid involved, so she'll always be a part of his life. But um, you know, we don't sign co-sign things for for people. We don't uh, just give money that we that we might need back. So I think you're making a good decision. I commend you for praying about it. Jimmy, thank you very, very much. It's good to hear from you. Here is, uh, we got Jerry on line two from San Antonio. Jerry, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. It's it's your Jerry mm-hmm. from Calvary Chapel. Hi, Jerry. Uh, how are you? I know the weather is well. to your liking. <laughs> it, it's, it's a little bit warmer today, so I'm not all bundled up with my space heater on. <laughs> you remind me of my mom in that regard, but... Um, I wasn't the Jerry that called last week about generational curses, just to clear that up, too. (laughs) It was a different Jerry. But anyway, I've been watching on YouTube. You know, there's so much on YouTube, and obviously we we don't want to believe everything we see on the Internet. But these videos appear to be pretty pretty authentic. I've been watching, and perhaps you've heard of Lion of Judah and another one, Treasure Christ, are the the headings that they're under with – Pastor Vadi Bakum, I hope mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing his name yeah. correctly, has a lot of good things and seems very biblical things to say. But one video in particular today by Treasure Christ, and now I did not watch the videos of, I'm, I'm sorry, the Grammys. I did not watch the Grammys. I have spent over 20, 21, 22 years live on the air. I was in radio broadcasting for all those years. I wouldn't dare watch the Grammys anymore. What a disgrace of what the music industry has become. But I watched this one today under Treasure Christ. The videos, and you may have seen it or heard about it, the satanic performance from Sam Smith and some other transgender winner, I don't know how anybody in their right mind, and I guess they're not in their right mind, but to watch that kind of trash that the networks would even allow that. It's just an absolute disgrace. Anyway, Hmm. um, so you had a lot on the show yesterday about the salvation prayer. Um, I'm trying to look at some notes here. Replacement theology came up uh, yesterday's show. Anyway, let me... I just want to make sure, I mean, I feel that I am, but there's other videos I've seen about so many people praying the simple salvation prayer, and is that, in fact, enough? Because it's not actually biblical, I don't think, and I'm dependent on you to correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, I want to make sure I am 100% saved, (laughs) because I, I pass out these pens and these scripture cards that I had made, and it says, are you 100% sure? And then it's got Romans 10, 9 and 10 
under it, and I leave those in restaurants and things like that. That's kind of how I plant a seed. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure, I guess I'm talking too long, I want to make sure I am 100% saved. So if you'll talk about that. Yeah, I and will, thank Jerry. you for your time. Thank, yeah, thank you, Jerry. Let me comment on the, the, the Grammys because I did get a question about it that I'm not going to address. Or I didn't think I was going to address, but I'll address it now. Uh, all I did was look at the headline. I have no interest in seeing uh, that which is demonic. I've, I've uh, seen things in the past um, on, on that particular award show. Um, you know, where there's uh, images of the, the devil and uh, horrible, horrible things. So I have no interest at all in doing it. But none of us should be surprised. Uh, I'm telling you, this whole transgender movement in particular is demonic. Um, um, otherwise, rational people suddenly believe something that that has been for 2,000 years unbelievable, that men could be women and women could be men. And I think it's something that we who are believers, we ought to be aware of. You know, in the Bible, we're told over and over that God um, sent forth lying spirits, uh, people that want to be lied to. God is going to accommodate that. The enemy is always lying. And um, um, that lying spirit has done a wonderfully effective job of communicating, even to some who are professing Christians that this is okay. It's simply not. It's demonic. And and when you get Hollywood, who is, um, or the music industry in this particular case, um, and, and this is uh, sort of their agenda. Um, these are people that are completely given over. Uh, Romans chapter 1 says God gave them over. And we can see that before our very eyes. And surely for Jerry and, and the rest of the audience, uh, we are in the very last of the last days, and we need to be aware of it. We need to be prepared for it. We need not to be seduced into um, being sensitive toward the issue. Certainly, we want to be sensitive toward the people. They're broken, hurting people. Um, but this issue and, and having any sympathy for it is certainly not Christian at all. So, um, uh, Jerry, I, I, I just read a headline and, and decided I wasn't going to look anymore. I didn't want to see it uh, for myself. Um, let me also say, you mentioned Vadi Bakum. Um, Vadi's solid. He, he's, he's a Calvinist. That's, that's a, a major area of difference that, that he and I would have. And um, um, I think Vadi makes a lot of sense. He is a great teacher, a great communicator. Um, but he's just wrong when it comes to um, his Calvinism position. Um, but he, but he's, he's solid and he is biblical and he is uh, one who has taken a very public stand. He's got a public ministry. He's taken a very public stand against um, homosexuality, gay marriage, uh, transgenderism, uh, and, and a bunch of other things that are out there. So I think that's important for us to understand. Um, r- regarding the, the salvation prayer. Um, when people say it's not biblical, well, there's no, there's no, I ask Jesus into my heart prayers in the Bible. But there's, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, there's invitations. And salvation does not occur when a prayer comes from our lips. And that's one of the reasons that Romans 10 is so often used and misused. It's like, well, well, he said or she said Jesus is Lord, and so they've confessed it with their lips. But you've got to believe in your heart. And, and salvation occurs when a heart is transformed, when a heart is changed. And that's really important for all of us to understand, Jerry. Uh, obviously, I know you, you come to church. We've seen uh, the, the changes in your heart. So, so uh, God wants you to be comfortable in the security of your salvation. He wants you to know that he who began a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it. Uh, but it's not a, a matter of salvation prayer. When, when somebody like me gives an invitation, uh, people come forward. Uh, I don't know if they're genuine. I don't know if they're being sincere. God does. My job isn't to find out whether they're sincere. My job is to help those who are sincere follow Jesus. And uh, I'm pretty clear about letting people know that there's nothing about a prayer, nothing about baptism, um, that that saves anybody. It is a human heart that is transformed and converted. Um, um, Paul could save his own walk with the Lord. 
um, um, a wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Um, Romans 3 says all have sinned and continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God continually is what the tense in that verse says. And we got to know that. We got to know that we need to be rescued. I think the problem with, with invitations in our culture is there's just a lot of people that have an emotional experience and don't really believe they need to be rescued. And so our job isn't to take at face value what somebody says. Our job is to look for the evidence of a transformed heart and lead those people into a deeper um, relationship with Jesus Christ. Jerry, thank you for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Chase, and I'm going to edit a little bit, Chase, because it's a little bit long, but I think it's really an important question, and I'm going to take some time uh, answering it. He begins by saying, do you think it's possible to read the Bible objectively? Do you not agree that there will always be some level of bias in play? After all, to read the Bible is to interpret the Bible is it not wise to be mindful of the assumptions we bring to the text? This is a very important question. I'll get to the rest of your question in a moment, Chase. But but it is difficult sometimes to read the Bible objectively. But it's it's not impossible. Um, our job as Bible teachers, our job as Christians, really, uh, is to determine what it says. Not interpret it, but what it says. And the Holy Spirit lives in us, and the Holy Spirit will help us sort of neutralize our bias. And yes, we live in the West, and we have a Western point of view when it comes to the Scriptures. Um, um, and, and the Bible, much of it is very Eastern, and we've, we've got to understand to whom um, uh, the author is, is writing or addressing uh, and, and understand the point that he was trying to make. But I think the best way for me to describe this, Chase, is that our responsibility as Bible students is to find out what the author intended to say. What is he saying? What is his point? And rather than read our biases into it, I have a question that I'll get maybe later today about eisegesis and exegesis. We're to look at the, at the, at the Bible and pull out from what it says rather than to let our bias uh, put in to what the Bible says and add to it. So that's what uh, our job is. Our job is to be workmen, rightly dividing the Word of God. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Um, and, and we do that by determining what is it the author is trying to communicate. Any, and, and these are letters. Um, and when we get a letter from somebody... If you take it out of context, you can make that letter say anything and you can assume um, some nefarious motive um, or you can assume some flattering motive. Um, but remember, our job is to see what the author intended to say so we can respond effectively. And I think it's really important for us to understand that, to recognize that you have a bias, to recognize that that there are things that we want it to say, to recognize that there are things that we don't want it to say. One of the problems with bias in our culture now, and we've got a lot of churches that are going very liberal in their theology and, and, and very worldly in accepting sin, they want it to say that being a homosexual is okay or that being transgender is okay. And, and that's a bias that they're simply not removing. What we've got to do, Chase, is see what it says Look at it, observe it. What does it say? Interpret it, what does it mean? And then thirdly, as a Bible teacher anyway, we want to find out, okay, how do I apply that in my life today? That's really important. Um, but, but, but if you are setting your bias aside, the Holy Spirit will help you do that. Um, then we're not reading, we're not interpreting the Bible. When we read it, we're just reading it. Um, that type of Bible study, inductive Bible study, is sort of the, the foundation of all real, true Bible study. Observe the text. What does it say? Look at the words. The words matter. Look at the context in those words. That'll help you interpret it. And then again, the, the last part of inductive Bible study is the application of it. So uh, be careful to make 
uh, sweeping statements like that, Chase. Uh, and then he says this, and I think this is a, a good example. He says, if we read the Bible without reflecting on our own angle of interpretation, then we risk messing things up. Uh, some of the results can be disastrous, disastrous. And then he says, I'll give you an example. Uh, some scholars prefer to say that Paul thought he completed or fulfilled his Judaism instead of converted from it. I think something like this is closer to the truth. When we say things like Paul converted from Judaism, we might give the impression that Paul thought Judaism was something he needed to toss out and do away with, that he abandoned his Jewish heritage altogether in order to accept a new and better thing called Christianity. But nothing could be farther from the truth. He embraces Jewish heritage. He didn't toss it out. So why do we call it a conversion? And then he says, I think it's because we've been taught to think a certain way about the conversion process and how it works. Um, uh, and, and Chase, I'm going to disagree very, very strongly with you here. Uh, Jesus, in his ministry, talked about new wineskins and old wineskins. He said you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. The fermentation process will cause it to burst. So when you have a new new wine, and that's what the new covenant is, then you pour it into new wineskin, a new container. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. Now, very important that you understand this, because Paul wasn't a completed Jew. Paul became a Christian when he's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, I consider all those things lost, and he's extolling his Jewishness. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, faultless in, in my zeal, uh, in, in persecution of the church. Um, as far as the law, faultless in terms of observing it. And, and then he looks back and he says, I consider all that rubbish. It's a very strong word in the Greek. It's dung, refuse is what he's really referring to. And he says, all of that is useless to me. So what does he do? Forgetting what is behind, he presses on. And so Paul uh, didn't embrace his Jewish heritage. He was very proud to be Jewish. That was his background. That's how he was raised. But make no mistake, not just Paul. And, and there were some, some pretty fierce battles in the early church about this issue. Um, but all of the apostles, they became Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch. And Paul was in and from Antioch. So he converted. Now, you say, well, what's the need to convert if his Judaism was fulfilled? Um, Jesus said to the most Jewish man, the most religious man in all of Israel, you must be born again or you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he told that to Nicodemus on two different occasions. So um, um, the, the reason that he became a Christian was because a, a Jew wasn't saved. And, and I think we forget that. You know, we, we want to talk about the value of uh, Judaism. But remember, Judaism was a picture. And, and Jesus, when he introduced the new covenant, threw out the old wineskin. Uh, that doesn't mean they stopped being Jewish ethnically. But spiritually, they were born again. And, and uh, the only way to be born again is the old you has to die. That's very important. He embraced that he was Jewish. He loved his Jewish brothers. Romans chapter 9, the first four verses, he says, I'd give my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. But, but Chase, he could only say that because his brothers weren't going to heaven. Jews didn't get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ any more than Gentiles get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. So uh, he was converted. Paul, Peter, James, John, all the others, they were converted. Now, obviously, it took some of them longer to let go of their Jewishness and others. That's why we have the book of Galatians. We have Acts chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem. But, but the reality is they did not remain Jews. They became Christians, and that was their focus, and uh, that's what their audience has heard. On Sundays, Chase, we are in the uh, book of Acts, and uh, we, we see just in the first four or five chapters, we see this explosion of Jews converting to Christianity those Jews were disowned by family members. They were cut off from the temple and the synagogue. They were cut off from, from the economy in the, in the outer courts uh, of the temple. 
Um, why? Because they left Judaism and became Christians. And that's very important. I know it's, it's very feel-goodish to say, well, well, you know, they embraced their Jewish identity. They did not. They left it because they found something better. And I think, Chase, in this particular case, your bias, wherever it may be and wherever it's coming from, your bias is showing because the, the, the reality is that when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it absolutely transformed him. And he was taught, of course, in the, the Arabian wilderness by Jesus himself over a period of time for th of three years. So uh, his experience was a conversion experience, and it was very much a modern experience. And that's the way people have been, been converting since the book of Acts. So read a little more closely. I hope that's clear. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. I know I say this a lot, but two minutes really goes fast. I just took a deep breath, took a drink of water, and my producer says, okay, we're ready to go. It really goes fast. We'd love your live calls and questions, 340-9585 for your live calls or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's one from Carlos from the Northeast side. Carlos, it is really good to hear from you. Um, um, I've been, been thinking about you. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. I have a quick Bible question. Does Jesus or the Apostle Paul say anything about doubting yourself on the things in life you would like to accomplish? I have an opportunity at work coming up, but because of my speech impediment, or impairment rather, forgive me, uh, I have doubts I can accomplish this task. Any advice on this would be appreciated. Carlos, two things. Um, I'm going to take two different approaches to answering this question. The very first thing for you and for everybody in this audience is uh, the things in life you'd like to accomplish need to take a, a back seat, a way, 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 way back seat to whatever it is Jesus wants to do in your life. That's the whole idea of surrendering our life is to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, I know there are things we want to do. Uh, I can say to all of you, uh, when I got saved, I, I, I'd been a businessman before and had been successful. And all I could think about was, okay, Lord, I'm going to go back into business and I'm going to do it your way and I'll be more successful than ever and I'll be able to be a blessing to people. And, and the Lord just said, I know that's what you want to do, but no. And had I pursued what I wanted to accomplish, Carlos, I would have missed out on the richest life experience imaginable. I love my life, and, and, and it's, I, I can only say that because I surrendered my will to his will. So the first thing about uh, the things in life you'd like to accomplish is you say, Lord, is this your plan for me? Is this your plan for me? And he'll direct your steps. If you hang out with Jesus, he'll direct your steps as you grow in faith, as you grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of his will for your life. Believe me, you will never be disappointed that you didn't get to do what you wanted to do. It's his plan. God's plan is so much better. Now, regarding the opportunity at work that you have coming up, uh, if that opportunity has been given to you, it's probably because you have demonstrated that you're a good employee, you're a trustworthy uh, person to give this responsibility to. I'm sure they know you have a speech impairment, whatever it is. Um, but don't doubt what God wants to do. If he's going to open a door and that's his will for your life, then you want to run through that door with the most grateful of hearts. 
Paul said to the church at Philippi, you know, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And in the context, he's talking about uh, suffering. He's talking about really difficult things, the secret of, of being content. But, but I can do that. And the same thing is true for you. You can accomplish anything in his will because it's not by your power. It's by his power. So uh, as you surrender, there's going to be a source of power available to you. And obviously, Carlos, all I have to do is refer you to Moses, who when God told him to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, he said, no, I can't. I'm slow in speech. It's presumed that he had a stuttering issue. Nobody knows that for sure. But he said he was slow in speech. And if he was slow in speech, uh, God says, oh, I'll give you what you need. If you want Aaron, I'll give you Aaron. But I'm going to be the one who's speaking. You just communicate my words. And and all you have to do is communicate what God wants you to communicate in this new opportunity that's been given to you. So when you have doubts, all you got to do is remember, all I have to do is stay connected to the source of power in my life. That's Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And if he's the one leading and guiding, then you can't fail in this task. Very important for you to understand. Just let God know, thank you. I'm going to do my best to rightly represent you and to be a witness for this world. And Jesus, I'm your man. And you won't be able to miss what he wants to do. So it's don't, don't, don't doubt yourself, but likewise, don't trust yourself. Trust completely in the Lord. Great question, Carlos. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Sarah from our mobile app. Does God make mistakes? No, right? She has with the question. But then if we are knitted in the womb and fearfully and wonderfully made, what do we tell people of disabilities such as autism or Down syndrome? Are they mistakes? I've heard some say it's because of sin, because we live in a fallen world. So is that what I tell my cousin who has autism and struggles with being different? Because everyone else tells him that's just how God made you, which would indicate God made some who doesn't mind. God made someone whose mind doesn't work the way it should. Wouldn't we call that a mistake? Um, Sarah, when when David says we're we're fearfully and wonderfully made, um, look at the human race and see how wonderfully and fearfully we're made. And then look at what humanity has done to God's great creation. Now remember, only only Adam and Eve were created by God. And yet, Ephesians 2.10 says that we're the best thing God ever did. We're his workmanship, his poema in Greek. We get our English word poem from it. We're his expression of creativity. The best thing he ever did. And we humans have in large part, destroyed that because we've rebelled against God. And the problems that we have in the world with people who uh, are created in the image of God, uh, our problem is, is in the rebellion, and that rebellion has affected all of creation. Um, even the, the land, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, uh, is groaning, waiting to be redeemed. So, so um, you know, somebody who's born with Down syndrome or somebody who's born with autism, um, God didn't make the mistake. We live in a fallen world, and the reality is that those things happen. People get sick. It's a point that a man wants to die. We're all going to die. We can look around and see exactly what's happened to this world, and we can see the effects of sin. Now, it's not the person's fault. Certainly nothing that they did. Jesus was asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, why he was born like this? That's, that's a completely human argument that, that misses completely the reason things are the way they are. Uh, so no, they're not mistakes. Um, they're, they're, they're people that God loves. Uh, I just did a, a, a Bible study uh, recently about uh, people going to heaven and receiving new bodies, and I just keep thinking, you know, um, the, the the person who is is handicapped, the person who's paralyzed, uh, the person who's 
uh, uh, you know, uh, Alzheimer's or dementia sufferers, um, the reward in heaven for them is going to be better than anything that we can even possibly imagine. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been paralyzed uh, for, um, you know, the overwhelming part of her life. Um, and, and for her, receiving a new body, I'm sure, is way more appealing than for the rest of us receiving a new body. If our bodies work pretty well, um, we can be grateful to God. But for people like your cousin who has autism and struggles with being different, um, heaven is his hope. Heaven is what he should be looking forward to. God's not going to leave him like that. Yes, unfortunately, he was afflicted with this, this condition. But God is going to redeem him from that. And he will have a new glorified, physically resurrected body, just like Jesus's. And they'll be the ones who, who receive the, 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 the greatest rewards in heaven simply because uh, of the body that they will have. So it's not a mistake. God didn't, God didn't cause the husband and the wife to create a baby uh, who has some sort of, of, uh, of capacity problem, capacity issue. Um, but the world that we live in does that. And people are born with all kinds of conditions. We just have a little baby born in our church. She's been in the NICU for quite some time. She's um, uh, less than two pounds and um, she's got some deformities. Um, and that God didn't do that. The world that we live in and the effects of sin in this world are what's responsible for that. What God is going to do is take this little girl and he's going to give her a life that's rich, a life where his arms are going to be open wide to her. And she's going to have the opportunity to say, Jesus, I love you. I give my life to you. And by the way, that's our prayer for this little one. And then when she goes to heaven, believe me, believe me, she is going to be one of the happiest people in the world. Very quick um, story. I was at the hospital yesterday with a lady that has been in our church for a very, very long time. Her daughters were in the hospital room with me, and, and, and she's, she's about ready to go be with Jesus. And it's happened very quick. And... Um, she is so ready to go. Her husband, who was uh, one of the nicest men ever, didn't used to be, but then he got saved, he got converted. And uh, this man, um, because of physical problems, had to have both legs amputated, lived for maybe five years with diabetes and legs amputated and had heart problems and all kinds of things. And when he went to be with Jesus... I was able to tell this woman, I said, imagine you're going to see Norm. That's That was his name. You're going to see Norm, and he's going to have both of his legs. He's going to be waiting there to hold you and dance with you at the throne of Jesus Christ. And, and we really need to understand what a reward heaven is for those who are really suffering these kind of physical issues in the world that we live in. So not a mistake. God made everything perfect. Adam and Eve, the only two made by the finger of God. They were absolutely perfect. They walked in the cool of the garden with the Lord until sin entered the world. And God said, when that happens, you will surely die. And the world has been dying ever since that time. So, Sarah, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for sending the question in. Here is a question. This one is from Mick from our email inbox. Okay, Pastor Ron. Now, when I get an introduction like that, I know something different is coming up. I was introduced to a concept I've never heard of before, pseudographa. Uh, I think it's graphia, but uh, apparently there's some big debate in the church among scholars that a number of the epistles are at best pseudographia, and at worst, forgery, specifically First and Second Timothy and Titus. Now, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know all of the ins and outs of Hebrew and Greek. I can't sit down and tell you the history of the Christian church outside of what we read in the book of Acts. Uh, and I can't tell you the history of how the canon of the Bible was agreed upon, only that it was. But I know my Bible. And the fact that this is even a discussion is ridiculous. Who in their right mind would question the authorship of those books? 
It's so obviously Paul, and I'm a simpleton with no degree in theology. Apparently, this is a pretty widely accepted view. I did some research and discovered that many scholars lean this way. Why is this? We've known for 2,000 years, give or take, who wrote these letters. Paul even says that it was himself. Uh, I just don't understand why so many scholars would begin to question this or lean that direction. We might as well ask ourselves if Thomas Jefferson really wrote the Declaration. Ridiculous. Your thoughts, please. Mick, I appreciate your passion for this. A couple of things. Who would who would disagree that Paul wrote the, 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 the letters to First and Second Timothy and Titus? Well, I can see right now it's everybody who thinks that women should be pastors. That's just one example. First Timothy chapter 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over men in the church. Make people hate that. They hate it. So what they do is they diminish the value of that. Oh, Paul didn't really write that. This is pseudographia. And, 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 and obviously, they're looking for a way to disqualify the things in the Bible they won't. Now, when you say um, this is a pretty widely accepted view, that's, that's simply not the case. It, it's a widely accepted view among aberrant theologians, aberrant commentators, liberal people who have, have already dismissed the possibility that the Bible is the very Word of God, written by the very Spirit of God through the pins, pushing the pins of men. And they simply want to be able to disqualify the things that they don't believe. But, but Mick, these people are not Christians. These are people that are looking for ways to rebel against God and justify it, all the while believing, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm this, I'm that. We, we've read a lot about people who are are re-examining their faith. Uh, deconstruction is the, the hot word on the internet. Uh, all they're doing is looking for uh, the, the right to sin and justify it as being okay. I mean, the Bible is given to us um, we know it's given to us, um, and, and what we got to do is we got to make a decision whether or not this is the Word of God or isn't the Word of God. Paul identifies himself in all of the books he wrote. Now, now you know, I believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, if you read it as many times as I have, uh, you'll, 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 you'll get the impression that Paul's whispering in your ear. Um, but, but he identifies himself in these letters. And the only reason they would disqualify them or disqualify his authorship is because they want to believe. Now, this is nothing new. Uh, if you if you look up commentaries on the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, they will tell you that there's three different authors in the book of Isaiah. Uh, first, second, and, and third Isaiah. And they'll give you the breakdowns. Um, yet Jesus quotes from all three areas in in Isaiah and attributes it to Isaiah the prophet. Uh, the book of Daniel, because the prophecy is so precisely fulfilled, I mean marvelously fulfilled. Uh, there are people who believe, well, Isaiah didn't, or I'm sorry, Daniel didn't really write Daniel. This was written long after Babylon, long after Daniel was, was gone, uh, and, and, and it was written to encourage Jews in future persecution. No. Jesus says, Daniel the prophet wrote these things, and I think we've got to accept Jesus' testimony. So, Mick, um, don't argue with these people. Um, just tell them, how about you actually try to read it? And especially with the advent of the Internet and information, instant information at our fingertips, people that want to deny the Bible is the Word of God will find a way to do it. And the fact that they are professing Christians, that's all they are. Uh, you, you, you can't trash your Bible and claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now let me say one other thing, and this is for everybody in this audience. The most important thing we can do, and Mick has already done this, obviously, but the one thing we can do and, and, and the one thing we all need to do is we need to decide for ourselves. Uh, I can give you all kinds of information uh, about how to research um, the, the veracity of our Bibles, how the canon of Scripture was arrived at. 
But but the reality is, if we want to disqualify books, we want to disqualify ideas, then we're going to end up doing that. So this is what every believer needs to do. We need to decide for ourselves. We need to put in the work. We need to let the Spirit lead and guide us. We need to let the Holy Spirit give us a revelation of the majesty and the wonder and the awe of this book we call the Bible. And until we make that decision for ourselves, we're never going to be sure. We're never going to be sure. There's always going to be critics. The critics have been tearing at the Bible. The enemy trying to destroy the Bible. The secular world trying to, to get rid of the Bible from the very beginning. And yet the reality is the Bible still stands as Jesus said that it would. His word will endure. His word will never pass away. And what we got to do is make our own decision. And that way, whatever somebody else says when you read these kind of things won't affect or influence you at all. And once you make that decision, and, and I can promise every one of you that the Holy Spirit will give you a full and complete revelation of that. It'll take some work. It took me, when I was a young Christian, um, right around three months. For some people, it takes a lot longer. Uh, for some people, Paula, bless her heart, she says, well, somebody told me it was the Bible, the Word of God. I just believed it, and she's believed it ever since. For me, it took about three months. I was curious. I needed to think about things logically. I didn't want people to say, oh, you can't believe in the Bible. It's an old book. As a brand-new believer, I'd never opened the Bible before I was saved. I, I'm, I'm the one guy that didn't know John 3.16 other than the guy with the rainbow wig on football games when I was growing up. But here's the reality. When I ask people questions, they say, well, the Bible says, the Bible says. And I decided right then, I'd better decide whether or not this book really is the Word of God or whether it's just a book written by men 2,000 years ago. And the reality for me was, at just about three months in, uh, the Holy Spirit made a revelation so clear to me that I have never for one moment since that time doubted the veracity of our Bible. It's not a coincidence that I've never doubted my salvation, not from the very first day I was saved. I have complete confidence. And when you really trust the Word of God, I promise you the Holy Spirit will empower you in ways that you never dreamed possible. So, Mick, just stick to your guns, but the rest of you in the audience, listen very closely to what the Spirit of God is going to say to you, and it will change your whole life. I promise you that. I promise you. And to do what I do for a living, to teach the Bible, um, it would torment me if I was telling people something that I wasn't sure of as being true. It would torment me. How could we lead people astray? Uh, I'm so confident that I don't have those kind of issues. Hope that's the case with you as well. Let's go to one final question today. We've got just a couple minutes left. Um, Eddie says, if it's hard for someone to believe in the Trinity, is their salvation genuine? Um, yeah, Eddie, I think, it, it, I think it's hard for people, especially brand new believers, to believe in the Trinity. Uh, it's hard to understand. It's hard to explain. Uh, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We, we all know the passages of Scripture. But, uh, you know, to the rest of the world, it, it, it really feels like one plus one plus one equals three. And they say, well, you believe in three gods. How can you believe in that? That's polytheism. No, we believe in one God, evident three persons. Here's where leaning on your trust in the Bible will come in, in handy. We know that the Lord our God is one God. That's the, the, the Hebrew Shema. Um, but we also know that God the Father is called God, Jesus is called the Son of God, and God the Son. Jesus said he was God over and over and over. We also know that the Holy Spirit is God. I'm going to talk about that in our Bible study this coming Sunday in Acts chapter 5. So um, if, if you really trust your Bible, you say, well, okay, then we've got one God, because that's what it says, but manifest in three persons or three separate ministries to people, 
but um, you know that takes some time to develop a, a solid um, belief in. So what you do is you just say, okay, I, I accept it, and then you ask the Lord for more understanding. And Eddie, I just think the Trinity is difficult for people uh, because it doesn't make sense. People always say, well, that's three gods. And, and I say, okay, one plus one plus one equals three. Yes. And then I always ask the question, what is one times one times one? And that's the way we need to look at the Trinity. But yeah, their salvation is genuine. And if their salvation is genuine, then the Holy Spirit will lead them to a place of acceptance and understanding. Well, the Bible says it. It's clear, and I believe it. And then we don't get into those logistical arguments or try to reason things through using human logic. We simply say, God, you are so much bigger than I am, so much bigger than I am, and I just believe. And if we'll do that, Eddie, then they will grow in their faith. We've got to give people a chance to grow. Um, believing in the Trinity, the doctrine of Trinity, is an essential historic Christian faith, but that's not something that just happens because we get saved. So, Eddie, thank you very much for the question. I uh, appreciate it very, very much. This is going to be a good week for us. I'm in Second Kings chapter 21 tomorrow night, and then um, second to the last study in Philippians, and then uh, going to finish Acts chapter 5 on Sunday. Hey, thank you for tuning in. My name is Ron Arbaugh. I have the privilege of being the pastor at Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You have been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.